Welcome to the Midwest Film Nerds Podcast. I'm Alex. I'm Nick. Today we have a special guest with us. It is... Lance. And we are going to be talking about Christopher Nolan's Tenet. But before we get to that, uh, please write to us feedback at MidwestFilmNerds.com. You can also contribute to our Patreon at Patreon.com slash MidwestPodNet or MPN.BZ slash Patreon, whichever one you want. Uh, we'd appreciate every donation, uh, and a dollar a month goes a long way. So please uh, check that out. You can get access to special bonus episodes a week early for both Horror Movie Yearbook and Midwest Gamers Podcast. And speaking of those shows, the Horror Movie Yearbook boys just released their Worst of the Cursed Bracket episode. They talk about the worst movies from some of the most storied franchises, and they take them all down in a bracket and figure out which one is the absolute worst so please go give that a listen and then the midwest game nerds just talked about the medium the newest uh xbox exclusive game uh that has come out the first exclusive to come out for the new xbox uh and it was also on pc so please go listen to both of those shows um but let's talk about what we've been watching at this point uh lance since you're our special guest have you been watching anything particularly interesting that you'd like to talk about yeah i mean i've, I've seen a few things that i've i've enjoyed recently um i'm gonna go through my uh my letterbox just to refresh because i don't know what day it is sometimes um, <laughs> <laughs> but, i really uh, should get into using letterboxd because it seems just like a really handy tool yeah it's amazing for, for never, me, it's it's great. Yeah, at the rate that you watch movies, it, I'm sure it's pretty invaluable. Oh yeah, it's um, you know, it's uh, you know, you see what's popular if you can't find something to watch, and then see what other people rate stuff. So it's cool. I thought of you the other day, Lance. Uh, I was listening to. I could just stop the sentence there and say I thought of you the other day, and we'd be, <laughs> we'd be fine. Uh, I think it was on the Game Nerds. Alex, you were talking about uh, the like the beauty of Xbox Game Pass, Microsoft Game Pass. One of those? Yeah. Okay. You were kind of saying how if, if you have it, you know, and you could play something you you don't really necessarily know if you'll enjoy. And if mm-hmm. you don't like it, the only thing you're out missing out on is your time. Yeah. And I I, I had a flashback to when MoviePass was thriving <laughs> and in its heyday. And I was texting Lance because we were just talking about whatever movies we had been seeing. And Lance was like, <laughs> he texted me, you're like, oh, man, MoviePass is amazing. You don't give a shit what you see. You were just like, it just doesn't matter. And you, I don't remember what the example was, but you texted me. You're like, I saw, I think you said like, I saw The Greatest Showman or something like as, <laughs> uh-huh. as though it was just like a throwaway thing. And you were like, who cares? Like I, I gave two hours to it and that's it. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. It doesn't cost me anything. And I just, no. that, that neuron in my brain fired off and r- dug up that old memory. And I just started laughing in the car because I just remembered you being like, you don't care what you see. Yeah. No, I mean, that, that-, that was the beauty of it. The 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 heyday of Movie Pass, the real like meltdown period was was a few years after we kind of stopped regularly doing film nerds, and Nicole and I got very addicted to it for the the two months that it was really still functioning as originally intended uh, before it like folded. And we certainly saw movies such as Tag in theaters because. Um, you just wanted to utilize it as well as you could. Like we were trying to hit, we, I think we managed to have it for like probably eight weeks. And I'm pretty sure we were seeing like two to three movies per week on it. And it was, it was a glorious, glorious time. Um, Mm -hmm. But you know, obviously a very doomed business model. Yes. Very true. Very true. Yeah. yeah, What have you been watching Lance? 
Well, I saw recently uh, One Night in Miami uh, on Amazon Prime and uh, quite enjoyed that one. That was that was really good. Uh, really good direction. Really good acting. Um, uh, is that the directorial? Yes, yes. The directorial yes, debut of, of Regina King, correct? That's right. The yes. Regina King. Yep. Yes. The one and only. <laughs> and uh, I remember her from back in the day, uh, Jerry Maguire. And uh-huh. uh, now she's directing movies. So, yeah, she, she did a really good job um, really uh, uh, showcasing these four huge characters of history. And uh, Kingsley Benadair has got a great name. And um, mm-hmm. he plays uh, Malcolm X in the movie. And he, he did he did a fine job uh, really uh, channeling that character. I mean, you, you used to think that Denzel Washington was the Malcolm X. And now we've got a second person that can do Malcolm X. So it's pretty cool. That's awesome. He's he yeah. for some reason he is like I he catches my eye whatever he's in because I believe he's also in um Hulu High Fidelity with Zoe Kravitz and he popped up in Love Life on HBO Max with Anna Kendrick and he's just like I don't know he's he's a very like he's got an interesting look and he's uh I believe he's Australian or British, I can't remember, but he's got a good natural accent when he's using that, and he can also make it disappear if he doesn't need it for the role. So he's, oh, yeah. I think he's really cool, and I'm, nice. I, I need to to watch that movie because I'd like to see more of him. But mm-hmm. yeah, he's great. Yeah. Um, another Amazon Prime thing I saw, I've seen the first two now of the five uh, small axe films, uh. and um, and I, I highly recommend. They 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 start off with a with a stunner man, uh, Mangrove is a. Uh, is such a such a powerful, just huge film, and um, it's done it's done so well. I mean, if you you know, don't don't, don't bet against Steve McQueen. Just don't do it. <laughs> just just don't do it. You, you you'd be wise to um, you know, put uh, put a lot of stock in that guy's filmmaking talents. So yeah, those are the two two things. I'm gonna finish off the small axe films. I I think um, I've been um, anticipating the one called Education. I believe, or an education, something like that. Cause I hear that one is the most personal of the five films that he's, that he's making. So that, that should be a, a real treat to see that one. Yeah. That's awesome. You, you, you remind me of the fact that like Steve McQueen's got new movies out on Amazon prime. And like, there's a David Fincher movie that fell into my lap on Netflix that I haven't even bothered watching yet. Right. And right. I'm, yeah. That like, one. Yeah. I don't know about that one. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> it's there. It's, it's available. <laughs> I haven't, I obviously haven't watched it. I haven't engaged in any of the like reviews on it, but David Fincher is one of my favorite directors. And yet I haven't like made it a priority to watch his new movie on Netflix. It's really, really strange. Like having these, these big directors just drop things into my house for me to watch. And I'm not biting chopping at the bit to watch them, but mm-hmm. yeah. Y'all talking about Mank. Yes. That man. Uh, yeah, and Mank. you know what? The real reason that I haven't watched Mank is because I've never seen Citizen Kane. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. They say it's an insiders type movie, you know, like it's, it's it doesn't really register with the uh, with the with people that don't have a huge um, knowledge of film history. But you know, yeah. I mean, um, I would hope I've watched the first like twenty thirty minutes of that movie, and I and I'm hoping for something to happen. But but so far, it's just kind of like <laughs> David Fincher's uh, like. Um, love letter to uh, cinema but it's like but it's also it's just very um what am i trying to say it's just kind of cold like a david fincher film too interesting 
All right. Well, we'll have to, maybe we can revisit that one in the future at some point when more of us have seen it. But uh, Nick, what have you been watching? Well, I don't remember. I know last time we recorded, I was said that I was working my way through a rewatch of the Lord of the Rings, but I think I had only finished Tower Towers. Um, and I don't think I had moved on to Return of the King yet. Does that sound right to you? I think you're correct. It's weird that I, I can't so. remember two weeks ago, but uh, it's weird that I can't either. And I said it so, <laughs> or didn't say it. So it doesn't matter. But like Lance said, I don't know what day it is most of the time. Like it really feels like Friday right now, and it's not, <laughs> which is kind of a, kind of a drag. Yeah. Uh, but I did finish the Return of the King, and it is basically just as I remember it. A kind of a letdown, and kind of a kind of a not awesome finish to the trilogy. It's got a lot of great stuff in it, but I think it's just too much. It's all way too much. It's too big. It's too bloated. There's just too much going on. And the CGI really starts to become pretty apparent. And I understand it was, what, 2003? Yeah, when that came something out? like that. I get it. Like, if you got to show these large-scale battles of thousands of, of orcs and dudes, you, CGI is the only way to do it. But it just kind of loses steam for me when it becomes that you know but well, uh, I, it, it, go ahead i was gonna say like i think that movie essentially that and like the star <laughs> wars movies were at the forefront and inventing the cg that really like allowed oh, that kind of scale right and so absolutely using yeah. all of the rudiments of that and not having any of the like the the tips and tricks that we learned along the way you have to imagine it's probably it ages a little bit worse than say something that probably came out just a couple of years later right mm-hmm. that's true well it still looks better than the hobbit movies so that's <laughs> that and that no joke i get no it, explaining it that one <laughs> yeah truly there's not uh but i you know i remember being in the theater and being like eh, this is like because there's such momentum going from the first two and i guess inevitably whatever the ending is going to be might be a little dissatisfactory to some people because you've built it up to be something in your head but there's still moments that i kind of scratch my head and i'm like that was a weird choice or you know it just didn't look or feel quite in line with the first two but either way uh it's fine it's a cool movie and i'm really glad i got to go through and revisit those um thanks hbo for getting those on there because it made my life a lot easier (laughs) i um i have a really funny I was getting my wife started watching Gone Girl on I think on Hulu mm. uh or Amazon Prime and she's been watching it in like 20 or 30 minute chunks like while she's like working out and so I keep getting her like her uh recap of the the latest installment of Gone Girl she's watched and they're just really funny reviews <laughs> and uh the other night she was like in that mode after watching that she was like oh, I really want to keep watching like a thriller kind of like a mystery thriller and i was like okay i'm in i said can i pick it and she's like sure and i said tenet and she was like oh no <laughs> and then, <laughs> so i swindled her into watching tenet with me and uh which was pretty amusing too but it uh it gripped her it was cool she usually won't stay awake past like 9 p.m especially if there's a movie on and um she stayed up for the whole thing which is a really impressive awesome. uh the other thing we started watching uh, it just, from what I understand, it just landed on Netflix is Crime Scene, The Vanishing at the Cecil Hotel. Nicole literally just pointed this out to me like moments ago. So okay. I will probably be watching it this weekend. But yeah, what, I know you what guys, are your thoughts? You guys dig some true crime. We do. 
<laughs> I was really interested in this because as soon as it started, uh, like literally the first few shots. So, so we like, you know, this kind of thing too. We're still continuing with our SVU uh, watch through. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we dig this kind of stuff. As soon as it started, like in the first few shots, I just said, I wonder if this is the hotel that American Horror Story Hotel was based on. And she turns and looks at me. She says, it is. How did you know that? And I was like, I don't know. It just looks like it. Like, it feels like it. And she was like, it is. Like, I, I read that or like I had heard that that's what Ryan Murphy based it on. Mm. And I was like, oh, cool. I'm all in then because that was my favorite season of American Horror Story. And uh, so far, I we only watched the first episode. It's it's pretty good. It's pretty compelling, I guess. It it I, As I understand it, there's a lot more that has yet to be revealed about the specific vanishing at. But all of the weird things surrounding the hotel before this specific person vanished are pretty interesting. And they do a cool, interesting job of diving into the like socioeconomic status of the area around the hotel. And they talk about how the the history of the hotel and how it suffered during the Great Depression and and what rose around it in the decades to follow. And it's pretty interesting uh, from from that perspective. I actually was really digging all that information. So I was like, I'm officially an old because I was enjoying hearing like <laughs> all of these uh, pretty dry subjects being, but they do a, they do a good job of uh, of kind of weaving that into the larger picture. So it's it's well made, and uh, you know if a documentary is not well made, then it's it's just an immediate snooze fest for me, and mm-hmm. I, I really liked where it's going. Awesome, I look forward to checking it out. I have not. I think it's from the same makers of the the Bundy. They they did a mm. Ted Bundy uh, documentary of yep. some kind for Netflix a few yep, uh, yep. years ago. And uh, I, I don't think I ever checked that one out, but I'm I'm excited to see what this one offers. So, yeah, you have to let me know what you think. Yeah, well, um, I, as you're in some kind of thrillery mood, uh, I can tell you to stay clear of the little things on HBO Max <laughs> because, um, <laughs> boy, you've already that, given me that warning. That movie's not good. <laughs> it's how did it's, that uh, happen uh, with, with, with the Academy Award winners? Three Academy Awards. You know, I mean, uh, there's a lot of people out there that are like saying Rami Malek was miscast. And some people are saying Jared Leto was miscast, but I thought he was significant. Like, I thought he was sufficiently creepy for the part that he plays in the movie. And, you know, Denzel's always pretty good. Denzel can do a good job, you know, making anything work. But in general, I just think that, like, the pacing on the movie is so damn slow until the last maybe like 20 minutes. And I shouldn't be that bored with like a mystery. I feel like I should be somewhat gripped by, by what's going on. And, you know, at least also these, like this movie tends to be a little bit more of a character study than other mystery kind of thriller movies. And I don't feel as though they do a great job of establishing these characters. I mean, they give you kind of like, breadcrumbs of like you know why denzel's got a little bit of a stick in the mud for the department that he's like kind of teaming up with for this case and stuff like that but it's just the way that the structure of the movie is written and with the kind of tricks that they're trying to pull on you it's it doesn't really come together as well as one would think and you know as i think we discussed in the last film nerds the script is from like 1993 um and if it, it, it still feels like it was written then, so there, I, I don't know. It's it's not. There's better ways to spend your two two hours, or that one might even be two and a half hours. Um, and so hey. go 
go do something else with your time, even though HBO Max dropped that in your in your your lap. And if you went and saw it in theaters, I'm sorry, because <laughs> it certainly wouldn't be worth that. Um, Unless you had movie pass and maybe not even then. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Long live movie pass. <laughs> <laughs> All hail the movie. Pass. <laughs> um, I just looked uh, up Kingsley Ben Ben Adair. And now I realize who, who he was in that movie. Noel with, uh, um, with Anna well, Kendrick. What's her name? Anna yes, Kendrick. The, yeah. the Christmas movie. He's the detective yeah, in that. Yep. That, that was a nice little movie. I liked that. I forgot it was. about that. It yeah, was. We That's watched it around the holiday season and it was quite a, quite an enjoyable little time. Yeah. The Disney plus exclusive, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah, no, I, I enjoyed that one quite a bit as well. I was surprised they didn't have like a sequel ready to go for this year. Cause I think that one came out last year when, when Disney plus when 2019, when Disney plus debuted. So, um, it'll be back for 2022 probably yeah. yeah um and speaking of streaming services um apple tv plus i I feel like nick i know you've recently come into it with the uh the morning show as you discussed uh last mm-hmm. last week um but if people are sleeping on apple tv plus between the morning show and ted lasso and servant uh there's some great tv shows on there nicole and i just started a new one what was that? I was just going to say servant looks so cool and it's, I haven't watched it yet, but it looks awesome. It's great. And it, it like, even in season two is, is like right. They're right in the middle of season two right now. And I feel as though like they're still continuing to kind of like the filmmaking that goes into that show um, is, is really fascinating. And the way that like they continue to try and keep you unsettled with what they're doing story-wise and also just using the camera and the way that they're framing shots and the way that like, they're, they're in the most recent episode, there are a few shots where it was just kind of like um, characters talking through a mirror and you had to watch them through that mirror. And, you know, there was another kind of slow tracking shot across the uh, like in the hallway across the dining room table as these characters were ta- talking throughout the whole scene. And it's just kind of like they're doing really interesting things to kind of keep you on the edge of your seat and feel weird about it and and i appreciate it quite a bit um does m night direct any of them i don't think he has um he's he's mostly just functioning as a as an executive producer for this one um but i mean he seems pretty heavily involved with it especially like he's been out there kind of talking about they i think they wrote like seasons three and four during the pandemic because they're like well we're gonna get greenlit for these or something like that i can't remember how many seasons apple tv greenlit them for after the first one but um no it's 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 a great show it's certainly worth checking out if well, he directed the... it says he directed three episodes he directed the okay. first episode so that's cool among, okay among others that makes sense yeah i can't i off the top of my head i can't remember who's directing these ones because i it doesn't i don't know it doesn't stick with me but it is very good and people should check it out um, but yeah, Nicole and I started watching a show called trying, which is, uh, Rafe Spall is the lead male actor in it. And there's a, uh, a young woman acting with him and they're a couple trying to, uh, trying to adopt children after being unable to conceive of one on their own. And it sounds like a very heady topic and it certainly is, but I think they also kind of inject a lot of good humor into the show. And uh, and we're liking it so far. We're only like four episodes into the season, but they're like half an hour, pretty quick, um, but enjoyable and and 
I'm, I'm liking it. I feel like Apple TV is something that a lot of people are sleeping on because they're like, oh, it's Apple. You know, Apple's got another thing. And also there's like 40 other streaming services to subscribe to. So, um, you know, I don't quite uh, understand exactly what uh, I, I feel. I, I understand why people don't want to pay another five dollars a month or whatever it is. But um, at the same time, I hope people are given some of these a chance, especially if they've gotten kind of bored with Netflix or, you know, other services not having stuff out there. But yeah. Any other yeah. what we've been watching that anybody's thought of? Lance? Yeah, Ted, Ted Lasso and Mythic Quest, too, on, uh, on Apple yeah. TV+. Plus. Really good. Ted Lasso, 10 out of 10. 10 out, would watch again. I yeah, I, I did not get into... <laughs> um, I, I, could, I watched the, the first episode of Mythic Quest a couple times and just could not quite get into it, which is weird because it's about it gets better. video games. Yeah, that's what I've heard. So I should really just, you know, maybe... It, it leads to a nice, nice, show? nice fit. Yes, it is. Yep, yep. Okay. Uh, it leads to a real nice finale, and they do a quarantine episode, which is which is actually really good. I yeah, I heard that their quarantine episode was really really good. Unlike some of the other stuff, <laughs> like Parks and Rec, and <laughs> some of the ones that we've seen. Oh man, but, that was rough. That was really yeah. that that made me sad. It was. I agree. Um, but you know, uh, I I appreciate people trying to do something special on that one. They were certainly they were like raising money for for a charity as well. And so I can appreciate that, but it was just kind of like you can feel everybody sitting down to Skype and being like, we're going to record something and be like our characters. But you know, the mythic quest one, at least with the way that that show is kind of structured and the company that they work for, I feel like it makes kind of sense. It makes a lot of sense for them to be on zoom calls with each other and like, you know, developing their game or whatever. So. Yeah. Yeah. They, they weaved a lot of, of what everyone is feeling during quarantine, whether it's happy or sad into that episode. So it was cool. Nice. The quarantine episode of parks and rec really made me appreciate how incredible the show is normally. And the, the, it's a testament to the chemistry that those people all have when they're in the same space together. Mm-hmm. And I think that the, the rhythm and like the kind of the cadence that they have with each other and the energy that they have to feed off of each other when they're all in the same space, it, it clearly magic is, is possible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, is that I feel as though it's somewhat, it makes some sense that like those characters are so well, well tread that you can write words that sound like they come from them. But as you're saying that interaction element of them being in the same room with each other and playing off of that energy and improvising, without having all of that available to them, it really suffered. But yeah, I know that's know. a big thing for comedians is having that, like being able to look each other in the eye and like feel that energy in that space. Yeah. Um, that reminds me, did you ever end up watching any middle ditch and shorts? I still have only seen the first, the first one and I really, oh, really, man. really enjoyed it. I just have not quite gone back yet. They're they're Those guys are really funny. I think it's insane, uh, it's insane think, what they can do. I think Middleditch has started a streaming career on Twitch, and sometimes he has uh, he has uh, Ben Schwartz <laughs> come on and play something with them. I think they played like Quiplash together and some other stuff. I haven't watched that either, but I bet it would be quite good. That sounds great. Yeah. yeah but <laughs> all right, should we delve into the the main event? Yeah. All right, let's get to it. Uh, Tenet, the IMDb synopsis. Also, you know, we're going to do, we'll do brief non-spoilers. I'll say that. But if you want to know nothing, I would say don't even hear this IMDb synopsis and go into it blind. Yeah, 
You're a hundred percent right. Like, uh, can is it even possible to do a non-spoiler for this movie? <laughs> <laughs> it's I basically consider- just going to be. Did you like it? Yes or no? And then yeah. you know we'll go into details <laughs> afterwards. But yeah. Uh, yeah, so it'll be real brief. But uh, yes, I the, do. I, I'll, I'll throw up my disclaimer too. Alex knows I love movie trailers and I love like watching that kind of stuff beforehand and TV spots. And he he went on the trailer diet a long time ago and was a hundred percent right about it. And I, this is the only movie I think in the last decade that I actually did it with. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't look at a single promotional still. I saw the poster on accident, mm-hmm. like basically mm-hmm. didn't watch a trailer, didn't watch a sneak peek, watched nothing, didn't even read the synopsis. And it was completely and utterly totally worth it. All right. So you've heard that now pause and go watch it if you haven't. But the IMDb synopsis says armed with only one word, tenant. And fighting for the survival of the entire world, a protagonist journeys through a twilight world of international espionage on a mission that will unfold in something beyond real time. Uh, This movie is written and directed by Christopher Nolan, and it stars John David Washington, Robert Pattinson, Elizabeth Debicki, uh, and Kenneth Branagh, among many other people. Um, But yes, Christopher Nolan, we have several reviews of uh, Interstellar and... um, Oh, maybe that's the only one that came out in the ten. And that's that can't be true. Is that true? We didn't do Dunkirk, did we? The Dunkirk. We wouldn't have maybe Dunkirk. Dunkirk. No, we we didn't. No, yeah, you're right. I mean, well, no, Rises, Dark Knight Rises, and then Rises yeah, was Inter- was like the that is the first. That's the pilot episode of the show, and that didn't even come out. And that was 2012. And that was 2012. Was 2014. Yeah. So that's yeah, it. Dunk- Whoa, that's weird. All right, so this is the second Christopher Nolan movie that we're actually reviewing, which is yeah, very is strange. Weird. But uh, we're pretty big Nolan fans, Nick and I, at the very least. And I, I assume, uh, uh, you know, we'll hear some of Lance's thoughts here. But uh, oh, for sure. Let's let's do kind of the quick, like, <clears throat> one or two sentences. Did you like the movie or not? And then we'll move into spoiler territory so we can be completely un- unchained and unleashed. But uh, Lance, what did you think of of Tenet? Tenet. I uh, actually really enjoyed Tenet. And um, I, uh, you know, when I think of a Christopher Nolan film, I think of time manipulation. And you see a movie like Dunkirk, or you see like Interstellar, or Memento, still slaps. Great movie. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Great movie. Um, And you say to yourself, well, could he have told this story without manipulating time and the answer is no he has to do that and he does it and he's the best at it okay so that's my review <laughs> all right nick what are your what did you think of tenet i so alex has seen it you've seen it twice now right yeah yep okay you've seen it twice over a, a decent chunk of time i finished mm-hmm. it yesterday and Lance finished it like 20 minutes before we started recording or 10 minutes before we started <laughs> yeah. recording. So we're all, we have three very different timelines of, uh, of, of our tenant experience. None uh, of us saw it in a, theaters also, but no, the way, you know what though? That's... After I, nope. after I saw it yesterday, no, two days ago, when did I watch it? Two nights ago. Anyway, I looked up, it is playing at the AMC 30 and I was thinking like, Oh God, should, should we go <laughs> just before we record just to, just to do it? Um, I so this is a movie I think of all the more so than even all of Nolan's other movies. This is one that you have to think about after it's over, and I don't think you have a choice. I think your brain is going to make you <laughs> twist it around in your head and kind of just 
you know, play with it until you can kind of tease out some of the, some of your feelings on it. I think it's a really, I still don't know how I feel about it as a movie, as a, as a, as a story, but I think as an experience, it's really, really awesome. Mm. And I had a great time watching it. I didn't pick up my phone one time during the movie, which for watching a movie at my house during like normal hours of being awake is a feat. And I was just, I was glued to it. And uh, I didn't struggle to understand anybody. Like that was the big criticism everybody has mm. against a lot of Nolan's movies. And this one, especially people are saying you literally can't hear what people are saying. I was completely fine the whole time. So maybe this is a movie theater thing against Blu-ray. I don't know. But yeah, I, 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 abs- yeah. I loved ahead. the experience. I uh, wanted to watch it again literally immediately. Like it ended and the credits rolled. I just sat there watching the credits for probably like a minute or two. And then I was like, I really just, if I had the time, if it wasn't like 1030 at night at that point, I would have started it again. <laughs> um, but I still don't know. I think it's a very good movie. I don't know if it's a great movie. And, yeah. Uh, I'll leave it at that. My my thoughts aren't too far off of Nick's. Like I really, really think I think it's a very entertaining movie. Um, but I certainly like. I spent several days before I even mentioned that I had watched it in our Discord. I believe just trying to really pick at my thoughts on the movie, and I feel like things have solidified a little more in a second viewing but not by that much. Like it's still something that's kind of like gnawing at me. And I think this conversation is going to help me figure it out a little bit more, but overall, like I do think it's very entertaining. Uh, I don't really feel the two hour, 30 minute runtime, you know, kind of as Nick said, it's very much a, it, it kind of, you sit in your seat and you're not going to move for two hours and 30 minutes. And uh, you know, I think, I think this is very much a movie by Christopher Nolan for people who enjoy Christopher Nolan movies. And I would understand if there are people that don't like Christopher Nolan movies that think this movie's horrible, but I, I think it's certainly something that needs to be watched. I think it's something that needs to be discussed and, and thought about. And, uh, and you know, I hope, uh, I hope people will, will at least give it a try. Even if, you know, it, 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 who knows this could be a great christopher nolan movie to start with <laughs> and then everything afterwards is just gonna fall into place you'd be like all right but no i i really enjoyed watching tenet and uh and i have to say like with nick i'm kind of like i don't know if it's a great movie or not but i had a very good time with it so um but yeah i think that's it for non-spoilery thoughts so from this point on we will be in spoiler terry and uh and please honestly pause it, go watch the movie before you listen to us. Cause I think there's a lot here, like hearing it might not really even like spoil that much for you because it's probably going to be difficult to even talk about in some ways. But uh, I think the less, you know, the better going into tenant. So, all right. In terms of starting this discussion, what I want to say is the thing that I think is eating at me a little bit is that if you put the words, Christopher Nolan and time travel in a sentence for me before I had seen this movie, I would have immediately assumed that was a home run for me. And after my first watching of this movie, I didn't really feel like it was a home run. And Lance, you brought up the time manipulation, like time manipulation in inception and in Dunkirk and in, um, 
in uh, Memento is all part of the, it's part of the, um, how do I want to say this? The story structure, but it's not necessarily an element in the movie. And Tenet is the first time that the manipulation of time itself is a plot point and uh, a mechanism that actually affects the characters itself and not just your viewing of the story. And you you overlooked Interstellar. In that that's true. Regard. That's true. And well, and with Interstellar, it's it's a little bit of like a. I guess with Interstellar, it feels like the like baby steps compared to this movie, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, and, and that's that's why I guess that's probably why I overlook it. But it's, it's just a watch in Interstellar, and in this one, it's a whole machine. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I, I was I was speaking more to the uh, the time they spend on um, I forget which moon of Jupiter. It oh, is. the time. Yeah, the, the 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 dilation due to the black hole is certainly yes. that's something that affects the characters very much as well. Um, but like that, that sequence, when they realized that that person had been dead for like eight minutes or something, but mm-hmm. in reality it was like years and that, that whole sequence on that moon like blew my mind and oh, still yeah. does for sure. For sure. And that, I mean, but the thing is, even for some reason in that it's not so much the time, like the time travel and dilation that happens there, I feel like is something that theoretically makes sense to me. Sure, and it's like not, it, it is it is naturally occurring. Not that I'm like a relativistic master. I don't have a doctorate in astrophysics or anything like that. But when it comes down to the way that tenant functions and the the reverse or I guess the inverted uh world works in tenant, uh I don't have like a reference point or like knowledge that I can draw on for that. And so it feels like a whole new beast. And and oh, I don't, yeah. I, I feel like that's why I'm spending so much time literally like digesting this movie. But, um, well, it's a pretty, I don't want to say it's a wholly original take because I'm sure somewhere there's some anime about the same thing, <laughs> but I got it. I got it. I, I, I think, I think Alex likes this movie quite a bit. If I'm not mistaken, time crimes. Uh yeah. Time Crimes is sweet. I did think of Time Crimes too. Yeah, Time Crimes is dope. But yes and Time no. Crimes is kind of like the it's more it's more I can't believe I'm gonna say this, but it's more like linear, traditional. It's what we think of when we think of time travel, and it's what John David Washington thinks of when he thinks of time travel, and they're like, nah, this isn't that. Like this is different. Yeah. The, like, the, this the particular thing, take is so unique. The the thing about time crimes, and not like if anybody hasn't seen time crimes, go go watch it immediately. But you're very much taking a character and bringing them back to a point in time and telling them to go and affect the world. Right. Mm-hmm. Tenet is literally like reverse motion through the world, affecting the world around it somehow. Yeah. And it, I can't think about it for too long without like becoming paralyzed <laughs> with like what, like this movie, I here's the thing. And I'm stumbling across it as I'm talking, this movie asks you to not think about that so much that it's an <laughs> elephant in the room for me. Yeah. The the ice pack, I, I'm not going to say the ice pack is blown because I don't think it is, but the ice pack doesn't even apply. Yeah. There's <laughs> the, the, the ice pack is, uh, is it's melting and freezing simultaneously in this movie, yeah. but um, it's just a very, like there are things with the action in this movie with 
two John David Washingtons fighting each other, one in reverse time and one in forward time, that like looks interesting and visually stunning, but ultimately my brain can't even handle how these two things are interacting with each other in this way mm-hmm. that makes any sort of sense. And like the illustrations of the bullet flying back to the gun at the beginning of the movie and coming up into their hands as if they like were dropping it, I think is easy enough. But when you get to the point where it's literally reverse and forwards, people fighting each other, it just, it starts to break my brain. But in the end right now, I I feel as though I'm not saying that much about the movie, but what, what do you guys, (laughs) what do you guys think? (laughs) I think that Nolan just, the guy, I have so many things to say about Christopher Nolan always, and I hate it because I am just Reddit turned into a person, <laughs> and it's it's annoying. Like, every time I get annoyed when I go on to, like, our movies and I see people, like, fanboying over Nolan, and even though that's me, like, I'm, I'm a self-loathing Nolan fanboy. <laughs> and, but the guy just, man, he, he, he just does stuff in a way that, like, no one else does and it clicks for me on a really awesome level and like you said christopher nolan on time travel is a no-brainer and it's a like sold right Mm -hmm. and but he just this movie really it really this is the this is the most christopher nolan-y movie there is because it it (laughs) emphasizes and displays what he does better than anyone else better than it ever has before like this Mm -hmm. is this sterling example of what he does well and it's also the sterling example of what he does really poorly Mm -hmm. and i think those two things clashing with each other, kind of like the inverted and the forward world, <laughs> it makes it for kind of a tumultuous watching experience because I'm, I'm there. He gets a lot of, for example, he, he gets a lot of criticisms for like having his movie. He gets accused of his movies being too cold mm-hmm. and too distant and not having any warmth, warmth or empathy to them, especially the female characters. And I've, I've heard those criticisms in the past and I've looked at like, Inception is the example everyone always goes after. They say it has no emotion to it. Uh, it's very cold and distant. And I could not possibly disagree more with that take. And the same thing with Interstellar. I'm like, if you watch mm-hmm. those movies, you don't get any warmth or emotion out of that. That that maybe is on you because it is there, at least in my opinion. And maybe this is where I, I start to have to defend opinions and, and not present them as fact. But with this movie, I think that assessment I agree with more because there's really nothing tying you to any of the characters emotionally. You're just kind of with them. And they're not bad. Like, I like the performances. I like John David Washington a lot. I think he's super slick in this movie. He's really like an effortless cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's really just fun to watch it work his way through the world. Uh, Pattinson is fantastic. Elizabeth Debicki is great. I cannot stand Kenneth Branagh in this movie. <laughs> whatsoever i will have none of his nonsense in the future like it's just that is the one thing that i i would i will struggle with scenes with him the next time i watch this movie which sucks because he's such a russian in um in the jack ryan movie too uh, probably but he stinks at it (laughs) so why two times why chris chris nolan like nolan you can get I know that you want to work with your homies. Like, I know it. I know that you are loyal to your boys, and I respect that. And I think that's awesome. But this ain't it. Like, I, I'm at the point now, it must just be my age, where I'm like, hey, man, get a Russian to play a Russian. Get a Brit to play a Brit. Like, we got actors, man. They're, uh, they're out there. 
We got so many of them. And occasionally you can kind of do something where you kind of cross pollinate a little bit. Like you get like Vigo and Eastern Promises and it works magnificently. Like that's cool. But that's just kind of a flash in the pan, I think, because man, I just could not buy it. But maybe I'm still carrying a little bit of a grudge from the Orient Express that I'm just like, <laughs> this guy should be done. <laughs> but I liked him in Dunkirk. But anyway, that doesn't matter. He, I, I think, I legitimately think he stinks in this movie. And I think he's overacting and he took me out of every scene he was in and i was like this sucks like find me a really compelling actual like russian or eastern european guy and plug him into this movie and the movie's better immediately for it um man i got off topic though i just remembered how much i hated him in this movie uh but i think like i said i think that he when he gets accused of the he has those accusations levied against him for not having enough emotion or or enough uh enough for the audience to relate to a character with. With this movie, I get that complaint 100%. I don't mm. think there's much there to cling to other than just the charisma of the actors. So you're you're really just kind of watching. The, the only character who has who has that is uh, is Kat, mm-hmm. Elizabeth Debicki's character. And she's fantastic. And her story is really good. She's the only character with like an arc of, of real significance, I think. Yeah. I would argue that... Uh, the protagonist and Neil both do have arcs in that they have a they have a beginning, a middle, and an end to their story. But there's not really a, a character arc, I would say, so much. Um, and that's not something I usually find myself searching for with Nolan movies. But I was comparing this to Inception, and I was like, okay, why do I connect with Cobb more? And I think it's just because he we we know he at least has a family, he has kids, he has a wife mm-hmm. who died tragically. Like, what do we know about the protagonist? N- literally nothing. Yeah. Like, the, the I didn't even I, I didn't even understand that he was in the CIA at first. Like mm. I I was like, who is he with? Because like, the whole opening sequence, which is really cool, by the way, like really mm-hmm. awesome action set piece. But I was like, who who is this guy? Who are these guys? Who's this guy that he's getting out of there? What's that thing in the case? What what's going on? Like, there's so much happening at once, and usually he's a little bit better about giving you those layers one at a time, maybe yeah. in rapid succession. But he at least gives them to you in, in digestible bites, like. The, the whole sequence from dream, from reality to dream layers one, two, three, and then limbo in Inception are laid out in such an elegant way. You can follow what's going on and it's breathtaking when mm-hmm. he cinches it all up like that at the moment of like the, 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 the kick, you know exactly what's happening where. And in this movie, there were, <laughs> I barely knew what was going on most of the time, but I was l- thrilled and I was loving it. So <laughs> this is what I mean. He just, he has really, really perfected his ability to introduce a story mechanic and set up a cool moment that then pays off a lot later. Like the backwards fight, the first time when you're with forward uh, protagonist is really cool. You're like, oh, wow, this is weird. And like kind of freaky. And like you're on your, you're kind of, you're kind of uh, on the edge of your seat. Like it's pretty intense. The second time it's even more intense, even though I knew exactly what was going to happen. But I was like, <laughs> I was like gripping the couch. Cause I was like, holy shit. Like this is, in, this is insane. Like my brain couldn't understand what, what was happening and the fact that i was watching the i've already seen this happen literally in this movie but now i'm just on the other i'm over the other guy's shoulder instead and it's just that the fact that that works as well as it does is just absurd and that's what i'll say is the price of admission and i will we need to let lance talk here at some point but the the what to me in this movie was worth the price of admission is realizing the moment that they get to that second turnstile after all of the car fight and John David Washington Washington's like we need to go back through and then you know surprise Aaron Taylor Johnson's in the movie and he's like where are you guys going to find another turnstile and then they're like oh we were at one a week ago 
the moment that my brain is like, holy shit, we're going to go all the way back there and go through that scene from the other side of time. The grin that was on my face is, was just the widest possible grin that it could be. And just kind of realizing that was the moment that we were kind of building to just, there's, there's nobody else that's giving me stuff like that in, in film. Like I feel like Christopher Nolan is architected that so perfectly that it just, you know, the moment that it hits, I'm like, all right, the payoff this is why is this incredible. Christopher Nolan exists. Yeah. This is why this yeah. movie came out of his brain, but which is amazing uh, too. Cause you, while you're watching the heist happen there, the actual first heist uh, at the Freeport, you're thinking like, oh, okay, this is the thing they're setting up, but really it's just like the setup for the payoff later. Yes. And it's just, it's incredible. Yeah. Lance, w- what about you? Like what, what did, uh, what do you feel as though, like you're a fan of other Nolan films, where do you feel like this kind of falls in the pantheon of Nolan films for you? Well, I would say, um, I mean, this is, this is honestly, this is Christopher Nolan deciding that he wants to outdo Christopher Nolan and uh, <laughs> go above himself. And I think maybe he's trying to challenge himself because, I mean, I don't know, he was nominated for an Oscar, right, for Dunkirk. They finally gave it to him. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and he wants to tell original stories and he wants to push film and he wants to push theater going. I mean, I, I kind of now get how much he was hurt when Warner brothers decided to um, make that decision to release movies simultaneously on streaming and theaters. I mean, they're like, Oh, we still release them in theaters, but they're kind of ruining the experience for moviegoers. Cause like, I really think if you saw this movie in the theater um, without coronavirus, um, People, people would have loved it. I think people would have been coming back for more. I, and I'm really, it's a real shame. It's just, let's just pour one out for, for Christopher Nolan's theatrical run. Uh, Dude, I'm just imagining the, the second turnstile sequence in a packed house and yeah. just the, yeah. the reactions you would hear. I mean, fuck. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if he worked backwards. <laughs> like, as soon as I saw it happen, yes, I was also grinning. And I, and I was like, I, I'm like, I wonder if he did it just for that. Like he was like just thinking to himself, like I want to put this in a movie, and he made a two and a half hour script <laughs> based around that, because <laughs> um, that's awesome. And then also the um, the, the the building exploding mm. and coming back together at the same time. I mean, like where do you where do you come up with that? <laughs> so it's uh, he really he really. I mean, I don't know. I mean, we'll see. We'll see what what his next movie is going to be. Um, but, uh, but as far as uh, as far as um, where this one ranks, I mean, I love I love all of his films. I have I I don't have a, a love hate relationship too much as much as I have just like I admire this guy. I think he he's he's really good at what he does. And um, I mean, Memento, The Prestige, those will always hold a special place in my heart. But I mean, this one, I mean, we'll see what happens in in like ten years if if people look back at this film and they say you know like. If people finally start to appreciate it for what he's trying to do, ambition is the biggest thing. I think this is his most ambitious film, probably behind Interstellar because that one was pretty was pretty dope too. But um, but this is his most ambition ambitious film, and I would I would rank it near I don't know maybe top top five at least. Yeah, I, I, I mean this. Go ahead, Nick. Go, this movie really uh, just. Playing off what Lance just said, this movie is the is the first Nolan movie that I, when it ended, I walked away understanding now his appreciation for Michael Bay and for the Fast and the Furious franchise. Like, 
Because because people, myself included, scoffed at that. Like initially, I shouldn't say scoff, but like laughed at that when when no when no one was like, "Yeah, man, I like Michael Bay. I like Fast and Furious movies." And we were all kind of, because he. I think that a lot of people, myself included, really initially early in his earlier in his filmography, kind of really held him up on a pedestal as like a real intellectual filmmaker, like a an intellectual filmmaker with money, which was a cool thing. We don't get that so much, but now I realize that he. He just loves movies, plain and simple. And he was played a really smart game where he could start making these smaller movies and like gaining steam in Hollywood until he got the Batman franchise and he got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then they're like, "Hey, you're our you're a golden goose here. Do whatever you want." And now he can start making the stuff he wanted to make from the start. These mm-hmm. big, crazy, swinging ideas with awesome action set pieces in Hollywood, you know, triple A stars, and he can just he's a kid now with an enormous sandbox of unlimited potential and he can do whatever he wants. And he is kind of a kindred spirit to those other movies and those other directors because they just like to make spectacle and play with those big toys and play with those big ideas. And, you know, for, for better or for worse, love him or hate him. But Michael Bay is the, is the master of doing crazy, unreasonable stuff and committing it to film. (laughs) <laughs> and I think that there's something about that personality type that a lot of these guys are where they're just like, I want to f- fly that car into that thing and it turn to a producer and they'll say, you can't do that. It costs too much money. It's too, it's too dangerous. It's impractical. And they'll just say, well, now I have to do it. I don't want to do it. I have to do it. And uh, this is the kind of picture that we get as a result. Like I read after the fact that this movie has fewer CGI shots in it than most romantic comedies do. <laughs> and there was a specific example that like some so many movies have little cgi touch-ups and like little things like that to you know erase stuff in the background or or, or tweak things tweak lighting whatever but he was so damn committed to making everything as practical as possible in this movie that like the actual vfx shots count is lower than like your average you know run-of-the-mill movie which is watching this that's the dumbest thing i've ever heard how can that be but this guy's just that much of a psycho that he makes his stunt people learn how to do stunts backwards. Like, it's unreal. Yeah. Well, it's a special of kind that, of power that you can't just do in Hollywood unless you've paid your dues. And for that alone, <laughs> he gets some respect. They also crashed a plane into a building at an actual airport. Like, yeah. you don't, they, they were like, we're just going to film this on miniatures, you know, because that'll make, you know, it'll be fine. And then they're like, wait, it's going to be cheaper to literally crash a plane into an airport. So like that doesn't like, I feel like even if Michael Bay wanted to do that, he'd have more like, you know, he'd have to fight the the studio harder than Christopher Nolan probably does. Cause Christopher Nolan just, I don't know. There's something about it where like, you know, Christopher Nolan wants to run a plane into a building. There's probably a pretty damn good reason. Whereas Michael Bay is just kind of like, yeah, this will be, it'll be good, but it'll be sweet. Bay yeah. would probably pay for it himself. He did that <laughs> with, uh, I think bad one of the bad boys, one or two, there was some stunt they did at the end of the movie that was so expensive they could only do. They said, you've only got one shot at it, and he wasn't satisfied with it, so he paid out of pocket to do it one more time, and that's the one that's in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's so sweet. That sounds about right. <laughs> it's so sweet. Um, You're not wrong, though. But I wonder now if Nolan's reputation is, is going to take a hit. Because yeah. I do think I do think he needed... I think this movie would go from being, I have to watch it again, obviously like that, that goes without saying for every, every movie deserves two viewings. Uh, but this one is a requirement because <laughs> I, 
I, I think it's a really good movie and I think it's a, it's a really great time at the movies, but is it a great, is it a great film? Is it a great film? I don't know. But <laughs> is this an episode of I love films. Um, I, I think it could be, or I hate films, <laughs> but I think he needed, he needed somebody with him. I think to help, to help polish the edges just a little bit. Cause I feel like he usually has a little bit more of a co-conspirator in like Jonah or mm. somebody else to kind of help, maybe curb some of his crazier instincts and especially with the story. And I think he needed a little bit of a collaborator on this one. I think it would have catapulted it to probably to a great movie. So one of the things that we've touched on a lot in the past in several mm-hmm. different uh, podcasts on this network is the idea of doing the work or figuring, you know, is, is it worth doing the work to make the movie make sense to yourself? Like with what the, the filmmaker or the writer or whoever, the onus that they put on you to come to the movie with in order to kind of dissect what they're getting at. Um, you know, and there's movies, uh, I'm sorry that I can't really even think of like, you know, even the stuff that we love, like, like a John Carter and a Tron legacy where, what some people would think of as shortcomings or, you know, just kind of like plot holes or whatever it is. We're willing to fill it in and enjoy the experience. Tenet kind of does that on a larger level. I believe like, like you were kind of getting at with the opening scene of like this movie hits the, hits the ground running and immediately starts. Doesn't tell you anything shows you what's going on. It's not even like the dark Knight where you're like, Oh, these guys are going to rob a bank. You're like, these dudes are at an opera house performing a siege for some reason. And like, I feel as though this movie could potentially be the beginning of like the Christopher Nolan, big ideas asking a little too much of the audience, which is crazy because I feel like in the beginning of Christopher Nolan, movie, my exposure to Christopher Nolan, I'm like, I love the fact that he trusts the audience and knows that we'll get there eventually. But I feel as though with this movie, this is kind of like almost a step further away from like me being like, all right, maybe we're getting a little too, too, uh, you know, we're, we're asking a little too much of the audience member here. Does that, what, what do you guys think of that? You jumped the gun. You're saying <laughs> like, uh, was no. at the end? <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't necessarily say they jumped the gun. I think, I, I just think it's kind of like there's, there's, um, the, the way that the time flow works in this movie, which I don't even think we've really like explained that much to like, obviously anybody who's listening to this has probably seen the movie, but like there's so much here in terms of like proper nouns and just understanding what's going on. Like, do you think he wants us to understand it or are we just meant to trust in it and enjoy the movie? That's the question. That is a good question. Well, so, does, and it, and yeah, I think does he give a yeah. shit? Because <laughs> there's there's kind of a there's kind of a Bruce Willis in the in the uh, booth in Looper saying, "Hey, don't worry about the time travel shit." Like when uh, we're talking to uh, Clemency Posey's character in, in the in the university in the beginning, she's just like, "Hey, you're not going to understand it, man." Like, but I've never gotten that from Christopher Nolan, you know? Like it's never like yeah, there's like the Dream Machine and in Inception but I feel like I can generally connect the dots. And I feel like this is the first movie where I'm like kind of struggling with the fact that like, there is so much going on here that I want to connect the dots on. 
and that I really enjoyed watching from a visual perspective and even a storytelling perspective. But like, I'm almost wondering if we're getting to the point where Christopher Nolan's just kind of like, Hey, I know this sounds crazy, but just watch my movie. Yeah. Watch my movie. And this is the movie I want to make and watch my movie. And isn't that scene in the middle? Very cool. You know, like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I agree. Well, I mean, we've seen that video of him, at the that university with a chalkboard where he breaks down like the story structure of Memento. I don't think that? I've seen that. No, but I would love so to watch good. it. So good. It's, it's so like, it's better than some people's movies. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's like, it's like 18 minutes long and you'll watch the whole thing and not even give a shit. Cause it's, so, he, I think he was giving, what's the story. He was giving like a talk somewhere, I think. And then like, he just went into some classroom and like grabbed a piece of chalk and like, they just started filming him like talking and he, he draws out like a timeline and he's, you just have to look it up. It's yeah. really, really, really compelling. And it makes you realize that this guy does not play. Like <laughs> he has, he's kind of like Kubrick in that regard where he has thought through every single detail of this thing. Well, and and that's the thing. It, it's like for Tenet, that has to be true, right? Like I, I feel like Christopher Nolan knows what's going on here and he's never really been one to like explain himself. And I don't think he ever will. But like I, this is the first time where I'm kind of like I'm not even really sure that he quite knows how this <laughs> well, is supposed to work, right? Yeah, I think that that is the, the question at the core of this whole movie experience for me has been why doesn't it why doesn't it make more sense to me? And I don't think it's that the idea itself is too complicated. I mean, it's not more complicated than people sharing an artificial dream space and being able to bend it and populate it with their own consciousness like <laughs> it's not any more complicated than everything that happens in interstellar necessarily but i think it's it's a combination of it's such a unique perspective on time mm. like we can understand time moving more slowly or more quickly we can understand moving back and forth through a fixed point in time but we can't understand moving backwards through a forwards moving time space and that's just some twisted shit and so that's I understand that that's a hard thing to ask our our forward moving brains to comprehend. <laughs> but I think it's just the fact that he didn't bother to put anything in the movie to help us. Like in Inception you have you have Cobb coaching Ariadne through how to navigate this world. You have Matthew McConaughey working with his kids and then later explaining, you know, the the way that time you have uh, the physicist on the ship kind of explaining how things are going to work like and it doesn't have to be He's proven it doesn't have to be an exposition dump. It can be woven into the dialogue in a way that is compelling for you as audience member. And the the scene in this that, you know, I was trying to remember how he even knows about, obviously it's from the scene where the scientist is explaining it to him, but like, that's it. She's just kind of like, hey man, shit moves backwards. Check it out. And like, <laughs> put your hand there. The bullet can move backwards. But my, I started asking other bigger, more general time travel questions because that's where, how that's, that was me trying to, to anchor my myself into it and say, okay, I need to, but I was fixating on details. And I started talking about this at work. I started asking questions and everybody was like, I don't know. And I was like, yeah, exactly. Like, doesn't it bother you a little bit that like you're trying to make it make sense for you in some regard and you just really can't. Mm. And that that's a, that's, I, I would go so far as to say that's a fault for the movie for me that it's just not even really attempted. They're just kind of like, here's, here's what's happening, but we're not going to tell you why, because we don't even know. But, and I accept that to a degree, but then when like a whole secret paramilitary force that can travel through inverted space and, and fight a war through inverted space shows up, I'm kind of like, 
well, wait, this is a way bigger operation than I think any of us thought. <laughs> and these guys seemed like, I'm still trying to think like, okay, there's a, uh, I don't know, man. <laughs> like they, this thing is going to happen in 10 minutes and you're going to start your mission. But for these other dudes, it already happened 10 minutes ago. You just weren't there yet. So now you're going to fly there moving. But like, doesn't that shit? Oh man, I don't even know. <laughs> but I'm but I'm grinning while I'm talking well, about it because it is really cool. <laughs> it's not necessarily that's the thing is that well, and it's like you said, our forward thinking brains are like, dude, that happened ten minutes ago. But for them, it's not that it happened ten minutes ago because they're experiencing it backwards, right? Yes, yes, yeah. and that is the that is you you've hit the nail on the head, and this is something that we arrived at earlier today too. It's the movie is, I think, is ultimately kind of about perspective because we are the third party in this thing, mm. right? We are watching it from from a third third person perspective and we are not looking at it through the eyes of one of the characters necessarily. And so here's, okay, I'm going to lay this out for both you guys and, and tell me what you think. <laughs> so, so, okay, it's my understanding that we'll go, we'll go to the scientist. She's got the piece of wall with the bullets lodged in it, right? Mm-hmm. And she aims a gun and pulls the trigger and the bullets go into the gun. Yep. Okay. So that happened because that bullet was already in the wall. But God damn it. This is so twisted. Okay, better example. So when they're in the when they're in the opera house and Robert Pattinson saves him by by reversing the bullet out of like it was like lodged in the in the floor, right? Or the seat. Yeah. Something like that. Um so here in a, in a typical time travel movie, that bullet would have already been there for X amount of time, right? Like the bullet is fired out of the gun. It goes through the guy and lodges itself in the floor. Yeah. Or the slug bounces around somewhere or whatever. Yeah, sure. But the bullet lands somewhere. It has a Mm -hmm. destination and it lands there. When, when, so in, in 10 minutes, was that bullet there 10 minutes before John David Washington was there? I think it had to be. Yeah. All right. I'm going to sound stupid right now, but that was Robert Pattinson. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 Yes. So the, so that was um, him. Yep. Yep. The, the yep, tell is I the little it. tag on his backpack, the little orange tag oh, that okay. John David Washington recognizes at the very end of the movie. And that you see on the yeah. body that is slumped over in front of the door. And yeah, like, that one, that one I knew, chain. I didn't know that he was in the opera scene. Yes. But now, yeah. but, but, but because, because they had that beautiful, uh, conversation at the end i was like yeah these guys know each other and these guys help each other so for long, yeah yeah yep yeah so 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 how long so <laughs> just so how minutes long, of us going so so <laughs> yeah <laughs> this podcast is now called so <laughs> a christopher nolan appreciation podcast oh my god that should be the name of his next movie so so with like an ellipsis and a question mark um that'll be the the joint christopher nolan uh jordan peele movie um so that bullet has been there for how long do you understand what i'm driving at like how did nobody say shit man there's a bullet in the floor and then pick it up and then robert panson would go "Uh uh-oh my bullet's not there so you know what okay here's the thing here's here's what this movie the 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 tenant well, the core idea of time travel in this movie is it happened and therefore 
it, and like it, it has to happen because it happened. Mm-hmm. And so I think the point of this is in forward motion, you know, John David Washington sees that bullet hole. I think it's literally just like a chunk that's come out of the wall. Yeah. Because, you know, the bullet hits the wall, creates that chunk of concrete that comes out. The slug compresses, the bullet itself compresses, and like it looks like a penny on the floor, right? And so uh in in general, like, no, but this is this can't be the way that you think about it. See, the the idea must be then is that before Robert Pan reverse Robert Pattinson shows up to unfire that bullet. It's just getting like kicked around on the floor by people's feet, but reverse kicked around. Like the way that she pulls her hand along the bullet and you see it kind of trail her hand as though she's put, she, she had to have been pushing it forward, but it's actually pulling it back because we're in forward time. Like essentially you have to imagine that the slug is bouncing around off of people's feet as they're shuffling or something like that until it ends up right back to where it needed to be for it to come back through Robert Pattinson's gun. Like the only other thing I can think about to kind of explain it is to go back to that university scene and I'd have to look closer at the floor in front of the, the wall that they're reverse firing the guns at, but there's also a tray of casings up against the wall that, Mm fly back into the ejector spot on the gun as he reverse fires it. So it's like, I guess what you're asking is like, is like if that casing wasn't there, could it have even happened is kind of what you're playing at a little bit. Like how does that bullet not get lost in the shuffle or whatever? Yes. And I guess the, in order for me to try to understand this, I have to break it down into just like, okay, so the way the way that she does at the university, like this is simple, tangible metal and copper and lead and gunpowder. Like, mm-hmm. so if I can at least understand the physics of something as simple as a bullet, I can start to then expand those ideas into cars and people and et cetera, and buildings blowing up. But I can't even understand the bullet. So that's why it's bothering me. Okay. So I can, I can dig into a little bit of my high school physics here and but, they talk about before you say that, okay. Is the, ah, shit, never mind. Go ahead. I lost it. So, so one <laughs> does of the your things head that, hurt? No, that's, that's what they say to John David Washington. What that is like, does your head hurt? And I'm like, yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, so it, it, the MacGuffin of this movie, the, uh, the, the algorithm as it's called the con- collection of nine pieces that Seder's trying to put together or whatever, which we're not even like getting anywhere near talking about, I guess. But the idea of what it can do is it can reverse the entropy of the world and of these objects and whatever. That's kind of what's happening is that these, these reverse moving objects, what the turnstile itself can do is reverse the entropy of something. And entropy is kind of considered like the, how things are like, is it, is it organized or is it, or is it, is it chaos or is it orderly? Like, is it disordered or is it, you know, neatly, Packed. And the natural movement of things in our world generally is that things move from a, a, a point of order to somewhere of more chaos. So if you think about that, where like if you fire a gun, you know your gun is in your magazine of your gun or your, your bullets in your magazine of your gun. 
you fire that bullet out of this neat packing of bullets and it exits your gun and ends up somewhere else in the world. Who knows? You're going from your organized place to your disorderly place. But when Robert Pattinson goes through the turnstile to then meet John David Washington and save his life with that reverse bullet, he's taking that entropy and of, of his gun basically. And like, and of the things that are with him or whatever and reversing it. So in a sense, he can kind of pull from the chaos into a more orderly fashion in our viewpoint. Yes. And that is the exact thing in our, in our point that. of well view. Done. It's, yeah. and, and one of the things that you were like almost getting at Nick is the idea of like, it's actually, I think of it more as reference frames, which is, which is something that you, you'd think of from like, uh, from it's like Einstein's theory of relativity kind of stuff where like our reference frame is John David Washington and crew. And throughout the movie, there is one John David Washington who is moving in forward motion, even as he moves through the turnstile. Right. Yes. And so we're watching eventually once they go through the turnstile in uh Tallinn or whatever the name of the town was, mm-hmm. we start watching what we've already met as reverse John David Washington in forward motion because our reference, our reference frame has, has followed him through that turnstile and it's just the movie but this is all stuff that like we have to think about afterwards right the movie doesn't come close to explaining that to you (laughs) i don't think sure no and i I think there's a the scene too uh aaron tarrant you know there's there's obviously the university scene where she says don't think about it just feel it Mm -hmm. and then why i think christopher nolan like nick said doesn't give a shit what what like if you guys can follow it, if the audience can follow it, is because there's a second scene where where they ask Aaron to where one of the soldiers like there's like a group of soldiers and all of them are like talking amongst themselves. Mm. One of them like raises his hand and he's like, "I got a question," and he and he says something, and it's a, the audience is like, "Yeah, I, I got a question. Uh, I, I don't know what this means." <laughs> and then Aaron Taylor Johnson goes like, "Need to know, and you don't." <laughs> it's, and it's and it's basically like I don't know if. Christopher Nolan at some point made a decision to be like, if I start explaining this, it's going to lose its luster. It's going to mm. lose the, like this magic. Mm. And I don't want to do that. That's a good point. And so maybe, maybe he just decided he's like, okay, it's like, I can't do what I've always done. I gotta, gotta step left, you know? So mm. that's interesting. I like that. And it's the thing is, is that it's never really failed him before, but I wonder if there's just some kind of like, it's interesting. Cause I watched some of the special features that are on the Blu-ray and um they i want to watch those they get to i can i'll i will get them to you but um the there's a point where they're talking about how they needed all these visual representations of things in order to film the movie and they made like models that kind of show how these two things are moving with respect to each other even though one's in like reverse time and the other's not and there's it's funny because one of the dudes i and i and i should have paid more attention to who was who and like what their job was but one of the dudes is like Oh yeah. As soon as we started seeing all those visual stuff, we were like, yeah, we get it. We can do it. And then they cut to another guy who's like, yeah, none of this stuff actually like helps explain any of that. <laughs> and it was just kind of like maybe the mechanical nuts and bolts dudes of like, how are the, how the hell are we going to film this? Are like, yeah, for sure. But then maybe there's somebody else who's just kind of like, this doesn't really give me that science at all. 
Like, is there something that Christopher Nolan is holding close to his chest or a perspective on it that just kind of unlocks it for him or not? And, and I guess that's, you know, we'll never know. He's not going to, the magician will not reveal his tricks, but I think no. it's, it's a fascinating thought, but I also feel as though it's, this is the first movie where I feel as though it's detracting from the film. The fact that there's like this black box magic happening somewhere. And, and, and that's, like I said, I still enjoy the movie very much, but there's just part of me. That's like, I think if I, if I had never heard the word entropy before, I don't know that I would like enjoy this movie as much as I did. And I don't know that I would have any of the tools to start even trying to put this together and understand what's going on. And so it's, it's hard for me to kind of sit down and say, Oh, this is a really great movie. Like, I think it's a really great experience. It's fun to watch. There's a lot of really cool visual stuff going on, but at the same time, I'm just kind of like, and I, I agree. It is insanely ambitious for sure. And I respect it for that. But at the same time, when I when I kind of sit down to it, I'm just kind of like, I, I can't say that this is a great movie, even though it's great filmmaking, which is weird. It's a weird disconnect for me. Um, I felt yeah. the same way about uh, Darren Aronofsky's mother, which was like great filmmaking. So good. He he was pulling all his tricks. He was doing everything that he knew in the years coming up to it. But it just wasn't a great film for me. It was like, mm. I knew what he was doing and I, and I saw, I saw his skill at work, but then if I take the film as a whole, I just look at it and I'm just like, yeah, that's not for me. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not involved. I wasn't here. You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. That's how I felt about the fountain. If we're going to talk Aronofsky, I, I was like, this is an excellently made movie, but I don't think it's a great movie for me. I really, I really love mother. But I think um, for me anyway, I think Mother is, it felt pretty upfront in basically saying like, I am a big fat allegory for something and mm-hmm. not so much of a story. Uh, I, I At least I felt it was a little more upfront in regard to its identity. So I was able to be like, okay, this is more of like an art movie with like a budget and stars, which is cool. Mm-hmm. But Tenet, he's trying to tell a story and it just is the most complex mechanics, I think. I'm going to probably just go ahead and say it's the most complex thing I've ever seen in a movie before. And maybe I just, I'm not diving deep enough into the Thomas video, uh, collection of, <laughs> of auteur films, but, uh, it's pretty insane. Like this, it's, it's pretty incredible that it all sprung forth from the mind of one person. Well, and, and, and I think there's just, the the central kind like the the whole point of this is that they're theoretically trying to avert this like temporal apocalypse of some kind and mm-hmm. the weird thing of it is is that we see the beginning and the end of that fight it feels like but the middle of it happens in the future kind of you know yeah and maybe Ooh. maybe that's part of because <laughs> <laughs> you just reminded me that the ending is not actually the end yeah robert yeah. pattinson goes off to do more well no that's the thing robert pattinson i think his final act in my opinion i guess we'll never really know but i think his final act he goes through the turnstile and he ends up dead in front of that door yes that you know saves john yeah. david washington as he's trying to get in to retrieve the algorithm 
I think that's yeah. probably his his end. Yeah, I but, think Neil's got like five minutes of life left. <laughs> but then the on that sick watch, that's a cool watch. I want to get that watch. Those watches are pretty sweet. Um, yeah. But then John David Washington has to go on to found Tenet, right? And so mm-hmm. like this is like obviously his introduction to those <laughs> ideas and the fact that this movie kind of fold. There's some sort of inflection point in the future where this all kind of folds back around itself to, you know, end this conflict, which, you know, ends in the past. Cause that's where Andre Sater decides to chill where he's going to die of lung cancer or whatever the hell it is and cause the algorithm to be revealed. But like, there's just kind of this like weird, the story structure of it all is so strange. And so like unobvious that it doesn't really feel like a natural progression which makes sense because there's <laughs> half of it is backwards in this movie <laughs> <laughs> so i don't know well, like the, it's fascinating to me what were you gonna say nick it's pretty it's pretty wild to think too about that like neil says it it has to happen because it happened mm-hmm. so like technically as far as the timeline of this movie is concerned he's already saved the world because it happened Yes. Like he well, did prevent Sator from activating the algorithm or whatever. And he, because we know for him to be there now, he has to have founded Tenet in the future in order yep. to recruit Neil to recruit him, mm-hmm. to recruit himself. So great job. Mission accomplished <laughs> as far as like 2021 or roughly whenever this is supposed to take place happens. We don't know. I guess, I guess. Well, and just to illustrate the, the reason your... it's bending my brain, like it, it seems like the future is doomed no matter what. And if the people in the future, if they're trying to push back and reverse the entropy of the entire planet so they can move the whole planet backwards to a time where they think they can prevent this from happening, uh, you haven't done it clearly. It's futile, you're, right? You're trying to do it now. So the whole thing is kind of moot. It's interesting because at that point, it almost becomes a movie almost about human nature and. Like he's like John David Washington had said towards the end of the movie, like every generation fights for it for itself. Basically at this point, is it just a movie saying like he, he's not going to be able to help himself from, from starting tenant because he has to have already done it in order to be here. And the fact that the grandfather paradox is not just something they talk about and not just something that happens within the movie, but the entire movie itself is one big, fat, ugly grandfather paradox, which is kind of sweet. <laughs> well, and that's the weird thing is that it almost kind of says like the grandfather paradox doesn't. And I'm, maybe this is that conversation that he has with Neil in the container where he's kind of the, the grandfather paradox doesn't really matter because like time just is what it is. Like things happen. Like to reillustrate your point, the fact that like Elizabeth Debicki, her, one of her main points of like, falling out of love with her husband is seeing this woman jump off the side of the boat. And by the end of the movie, you learn that she was the woman Mm -hmm. jumping off the side of the boat. You know, for me, that kind of emotionally is extremely heartbreaking, but then also just kind of like the, the, the idea that like her motivations in the future happened because of something she did in the past. It's, it's that paradox, but it feels weird not like having to reckon with the fact that like, how could that possibly be true? Because we watched it happen in front of our eyes. Like the, this reverse entropy thing feels like he's figured out time travel or something. <laughs> like I don't, 
Like it's, it's well, really, really, it's baffling to me. And, and, you know, and I also have to say like it, modern commentary aside, I think the idea that like the future has become angry at the past because we've ruined the planet. And so they want to literally reverse time to go back to when the planet was healthy. I think that's an incredible like point to make, but it's kind of just like a footnote in the experience of this movie. <sighs> yeah, you're right. It is just kind of crammed in there because there's like this environmentalist message mm-hmm. that's jammed in there right at the end. And, yep. you know, I've read more than once on Reddit that people feel that this would have been better served as like a four to six episode HBO miniseries. Mm. And I kind of, I kind of, I feel like no one would never make anything other than a movie, but it, it, it might be right. <laughs> even no, even play a, that way. No, Papa Nolan, you get, you get, you get, uh, even if it had been a two parter, you know, like two, two hour things, it may have been a better story and it may have been easier to explore and digest the, the mechanics at play, but whatever. I mean, there's no use in speculating because it has happened. So, you know, we <laughs> just, well, if it was a two parter, if it was a two parter, I'd want it separated by a year just to think about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and kind of the, what I think would be interesting is like, maybe as like a thought experiment is kind of sitting down and being like, if he were to make a sequel to tenant, like the thing that I find myself wondering about is, is where that inflection point is in the future that causes like, what, what is the, do we explore like how Seder became Seder and do we understand like. Because clearly with Seder, there's somebody sending him gold and like instructions and information back through time uh, as he yeah. found in, in his his town. And then, you know, in the future, we also have John David Washington meeting Neil at some point for real, like the first time. Not really the first time, but like, I don't know, the first time for both forward people to meet, I guess. Who knows? And so, like, I feel like there's these, like, things in the future that could be interesting to explore, but it almost, like, it weirdly feels like a prequel to this movie, which is just, it, I don't know, <laughs> I keep breaking my own brain as I start talking about things, and it's just, I, I don't, it, I have to respect it, because I find this all extremely fascinating, but I don't know, like, maybe I'll have my final opinion on how good of a movie Tenet is 20 years from now when I sit down and watch it for the 350th time. But I don't know. Um, I guess in terms of, like, other specific things that we might want to mention, we've talked around it a little bit, but the temporal pincer movement at the end, I think, is, like, the fact that, like, that isn't even necessarily the big spectacle that we think of. Like, it's certainly, it, it is a gigantic spectacle having two warring sides in reverse motion of each other, like interacting, I think is very, you know, spectacular. But in terms of like a third and final set piece, I feel like in, in watching everything, like it's once again, me wanting to like sit down and diagram out, like when does Neil hit the turnstile here and where does he go back to do what? And, and things of that nature. Like, I feel like I'm so boggled by the logistics of this. Like, I wonder, I wonder if, <laughs> if like, I don't know if I like smoked some weed or something beforehand, would that make it any better or worse? <laughs> Someone on Reddit actually made an animatic of Neil at the end to, uh, because okay. so many people were confused about how he winds up. I'm still a little confused as to what he's doing. Is he unlocking the door and then getting shot? 
Yes. So that to John David Washington, it appears as though he's dead on the ground, and then he stands up, opens the door so he can get through. Mm-hmm. So wouldn't that mean that Neil was locking the door? I don't know. Like I said, I need to. Wa- I just need to watch it again. I feel like that would be made clear more on a second viewing. But somebody uh, made a really, a really me. like. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <But laughs> somebody made a really like a really rudimentary a- 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 animatic, and it was actually pretty. Kind of, it was kind of helpful to see. I should see if I can find it again and send it to you. Yeah, I've been kind of purposefully not trying to like dig too deep into it as I try and search my own feelings on everything. And I feel like now that this document will be published somewhere, um, I am free to start kind of looking at more of that stuff. And I would like to, but, um, but yeah, I don't know. Is there anything else, Lance? Is there anything else that you want to touch on in particular? I mean, yeah, I kind of, um, I kind of, I finished it an hour and 40 minutes ago or something <laughs> like that. Um, and, and I actually, I'm, I'm, I just want to let it sit with me for a little bit. I'm not going to jump in and um, look for some graph or diagram. I mean, I know a lot of time travel shows like dark. If you guys ever seen dark on Netflix. No, I've heard um, about it. I've heard it's great. But. That's, that's a whopper of a time travel show for sure. <laughs> um, and uh, I don't know. I'm just kind of like, I'm sitting with it. I'm hearing you guys talk about it. And, and I, I just, I'm in awe of somebody who tried this, who, who said to himself, okay, like, let me make a, I don't know if you want to call it a James Bond type spy movie or whatever, but like, just kind of like, just made this story and, and, and he built a world and it's, it's so much bigger than you see on the screen, which I think is a big achievement in and of itself. I mean, one, one comment I've thought about. Uh, I listened to some interviews with directors and um, Duncan Jones, director of Moon Mm. and um, Source Code, has said uh, that Blade Runner is his favorite film. And the reason why Blade Runner is his favorite film is because you could what you could do is you could turn the camera. uh, You can, you know, pan the camera left and you'll and you'll see more of that world if you were if you were to be like, I'm not really articulating it very well, but like basically like there's more than what you see on the screen. It's not just the set that these people are on. They've built it out and they, they, they've presented it to you where this is more than just Deckard's story. This is a huge universe. And, yeah. um, and I think, I think Nolan is trying to do that with this film. I think he succeeded in many ways. Um, whatever faults there are, uh, we'll see in time. If people <laughs> kind of like, don't, don't really remember this movie. Um, it's hard to forget it because of, of the coronavirus pandemic and um, and uh, a lot of the hubbub about uh, releasing it so that people could see it and that you know um, try to save the movie theaters and yeah exactly that. yeah so, yeah so I don't I don't think people are going to forget this film anytime soon let's hope they remember it for good reasons and um, just uh, I I kind of want to say some interesting things a couple things I want to redeem Kenneth Branagh KB. <laughs> um, because when he does that speech at the end, I, I, another thing that, um, has been told to me about writing a proper villain is that you write a villain that thinks he's the hero in his own story. And I think that Kenneth Branagh with the terrible Russian accent he does and the kind of like this kind of not good intensity for most of the movie at, at the end, when he was having that phone conversation, I think he brought it. And I think I was seeing why he thought he was doing the right thing. Um, and uh, two more things about two of the main characters 
Elizabeth Debicki and Robert Pattinson's characters, how they, I don't know if it's significant or not. I mean, I, you know, if, if I asked Christopher Nolan, what would he say to me? I don't know. Uh, if, I, if I asked him this question, why did those two do things that weren't planned? And, and, it, and it, it's, it's a commentary a little bit for me on human nature and, and, and that he injected, even though this movie is so full of rules and so full of like things have to happen this way and this blah, blah, blah. It, he still injected the human nature aspect of somebody deciding to do something off the rails, deciding to do something that wasn't planned and, and sometimes for selfish reasons, sometimes for not selfish reasons. And I think him putting that in there makes the film more uh, rich and, um, and just, I think he did, he did, he did a great job. I would give this man uh, a for effort for sure. That's yeah, that's really great. I think there's, there's a lot. And that's the thing is that I feel like I'm so trapped by all of the like mechanics of everything that I can't even like begin to scratch the themes. (laughs) And so hopefully with some more time and maybe reading other people's thoughts, I can kind of like dig into that a little bit more because I, yeah, I think you're right. I think it's weird because kind of as what Nick was getting at, it's, it's like everything needs to happen the way that it's already happened because they're performing these actions in the past and they've affected things thusly. Right. And so like the idea that their erraticness is kind of just like, it's, it's perceived chaos in the moment, but in the past it's, it's order. That's how it happened. It's established, you know, it's just kind of like, it's just an interesting thing to think about the, the way that this movie kind of like plays with, with the idea of how actions affect each other, but also the fact that they can't because they already have, I don't, it's, it's really weird and it's cool. Yeah. And I, and I have to respect it for that completely. And I feel like I sound like I don't like the movie. I don't know if I don't like the movie. (laughs) I think I do like the movie. I'm just like, I'm too, I'm too in my brain trying to, trying to understand time travel and solve it and make a turnstile myself to actually enjoy the movie in front of me. But maybe one day I'll be able to let go. Nick, any, any final thoughts? (laughs) So (laughs) should we just review tenant once per year for the rest of our lives? (laughs) We probably should revisit it again later. Is that our pot is so is the is so the podcast just us putting out a yearly episode where we talk about tenant again? Uh, I'm in for a year from now. <laughs> uh, the I think it's such an awesome movie, but I just don't I'm with you Alex. I just don't know if it's a good movie yet or not and I it brings me to I guess the two questions that kind of will inform that answer are does it are you able to follow it in a way that is at least satisfactory to you? And I think for the most part, yeah, I'm mm-hmm. okay with it. Like, although I am frequently lost and I'm still turning this concept around in my head, I think I'm okay with that. Like like you brought up earlier, I'm willing to put in the work to spend some extracurricular time thinking about it, maybe looking up some diagrams, maybe drawing my own little diagram to kind of help. <laughs> like that's, that actually sounds like a good time. So yeah. mission accomplished there. The other kind of larger question, I think, in this, maybe maybe this is what helps separate a good movie from a great movie, but does a 
does a movie have to, do you have to make an emotional connection to a movie? Does a movie need to elicit an emotional response from you in order to be a great movie? Mm. And I don't know that I have an answer for that question at all. But if I did, I would certainly try to apply it to this movie because I think it's a really tricky question because movies, I think we, we in general come to movies to, to experience a story and to connect with that story and to walk away from that story feeling changed in some way or enriched in some way. Mm. <clears throat> and I think about like all the, you know, what we would mostly as a society consider all the classic films. And those, those are generally stories that you have an emotional connection to, right? And usually your favorite movies are movies that you have an emotional connection to. And I don't see, I don't think it's physically possible for anyone to phys to emotionally connect to this movie <laughs> because I just, <laughs> I just don't think there's anything there. And the only character who I think it might be possible with is, is Kat, but you do have the little spark of the bromance between the two mm -hmm. at the end there. And I think that that is a really important part that I can't overlook because John David Washington spends the whole movie. He's that dude is cool, cool as a cucumber, man. He's just like floating through the movie and he's, he is presented with these big crazy ideas. And he's, he's basically revealed that, Hey, there's this whole inverted war thing going on and you can, you can walk through the world like this. And it gets a lot of information to take in, but he never really seems to stumble with it. And I don't think that's because the, his performance is bad or because he's underwritten, but I think that's actually part of his character is that he's proven to be like a good soldier, basically, right? Mm -hmm. Like he 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 took and, and, and passed the cyanide capsule test and he's shown that he can be a company man and he can be, he can fall in line and do what he needs to do to get the mission done. And I think that that reads on his face that he's just following orders throughout the movie. And he's like, well, this is all a bit confusing and I'm kind of just, my wheels are kind of spinning here sometimes, but I'm going with it and I'm going to get the mission done. And it's at the end of the movie where we finally have that emotional breakthrough moment when he realizes he has to be the one to give the orders in the future and he can't just take orders from somebody above him. And that coupled with the fact that this guy who is now his friend and who has saved his life more than once uh, is going to go die for him now. Yeah. Because he basically needs him to do that. And <clears throat> the emotional reaction in that scene is so awesome and powerful because I've been waiting the whole damn movie for it. <laughs> the <laughs> fact that we get it at the end is better than nothing. It's kind of like the big emotional release at the end of Dunkirk too. It's not mm. so dissimilar from that. But I still think there's some inherent spark in this movie that's missing. And I I can't put my finger on what it is, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it does just kind of bum me out that I'm not able to identify why it doesn't work so out of the gate as all the rest of his movies do for me. And it's easy to just say, well, it's just not as good a movie. Maybe it's easy to say, hey, it's not a great movie, and that's okay. It doesn't have to be a great movie. But I feel like the great movie is in there. I just need to be able to understand it. <laughs> Well, you know it's either I mean? that the great no, it, I, and I and I hear what you're saying. I think you're right. I think the fact that there's this kind of nebulous like something's missing. It's like, is it really missing, or is it something I need to understand? And I guess it's exciting for me that we're both here in a place where we're like, maybe we'll figure it out in the future. And this movie could still be good. It's like a Schrodinger's box of is this movie yes. good or bad. I wondered when that was going to come up. I knew it. Yeah. Even the even the design of the turnstiles makes me think of it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. With yeah. like the lane down the middle and everything. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. No. I I I I really yeah, and that's the thing. I think in general, like I can say that I I really like this movie, and, and I hope people give it a chance, and I hope people wanted to delve into it as much as we did. I'm sure there's many people that didn't, and probably gave it bad reviews or or whatever. I know that like reviews coming out of it when it did get released, and there were people starting to see it, were kind of lukewarm. Um, mm-hmm. Really, and, you know. It is a shame. And honestly, like this is one where it's like, as soon as I have that second dose in my body and I've given it a couple weeks, like if this is still in theaters anywhere, I want to go see it, you know? Yeah, we should. Um, and, I, and I hope even if it's not, I hope they do re-release it at some point to just kind of say, Hey, let's show people tenant. Cause we tried to do it before and couldn't. Um, but yeah, hopefully that'll be a nice carrot at the end of this very long stick. But <laughs> the only other thing I'll say is thank God that this was not a Bond movie. That <laughs> I I do legitimately hope no one gets to make his Bond movie one day because I think he would he would be an incredible Bond director. Uh, he would probably be an awesome one and done. Like give him whatever actor he wants, let him make one, and then and then recast again and go somewhere else with somebody else. <laughs> like let him make one insane Nolan-y Bond movie, but. I'm glad he didn't hold withhold this idea for a James Bond movie because could you imagine like well people would have ripped it to shreds <laughs> it wouldn't be digestible like picturing Daniel Craig fighting himself in reverse like it would be kind of an insanely cool and weird like what if Bond movie but for like a mainstream tentpole Bond release it would have just been eviscerated and it would have been the end of his career <laughs> yeah I think honestly so, the movie like <clears throat> the, the big ideas in the movie are so like they overwhelmed any sort of trade craft that is in this movie very quickly. And yeah, I don't think it, it, it would have been that great of a fit in general. Um, you can see where he's like playing with those ideas of like, it's a CIA agent and, and you know, he's, yeah. And there's like, like a secret word and, and mm-hmm. a secret hand sign. And, you know, he works with British intelligence and it has lots of spy tropes, like the yes. woman who is in danger and, um, he clearly is having fun with that genre. He clearly has a, a love for that. And I'm glad he got to weave that into this movie. And one day I hope he makes just kind of a straight up spy thriller. Cause I think he, it would be really excellent. Yeah. But I like, like Lance said, he's just is trying to out Nolan himself at this point. And that might not be healthy anymore. He might need to, to kind of back it off a bit and, uh, you know, focus on what he maybe making a slightly more cohesive and, uh, story. Yeah. The only other scene that uh, we didn't get to talk, and we obviously barely talked about the actual movie, but <laughs> um, the scene where they go into the turnstile after the the freeway, the freeway heist was awesome, by the way. It was yeah. so clever and really cool. But the scene where they go into the turnstile and there's like reverse Kenneth Branagh speaking and his dialogue coming forwards. Mm-hmm. I was like, what the shit? Like, didn't, didn't grasp it at all. And then when she gets shot and... John David Washington's like, hey, we've we've got to we've got to go through, and he basically goes through when he when they brief him the scene where Wheeler is briefing him about how to navigate the world because he's like, I'm going to go after the the piece of the algorithm. Yeah, that scene was such get hype shit. I couldn't even stand it. Yep, absolutely. It was yeah. so awesome when they're giving him this crash course and uh, and they're like basically telling him, hey, you can't even breathe the regular air because your lungs can't process it. Like, oh. I was like, just start blasting some awesome like music in the background because it was so sweet. It was like a, <laughs> it was like a boxer getting ready to enter the ring. It was just like such hype, and it was so cool. And I was like, 
I have no idea what he's about to walk out in the world into. And I just can't even, I can't even wait to see that what's going to happen. It was so, so, so sweet for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that I am, I did refer to that moment earlier in the sense of like, that was when my brain clicked and I was like, we're going back to that first turnstile and we're going to see who came out of that turnstile. Like they, they was, they, it was him, you know? And so, yeah, that's, I completely agree. I had the same, the same reaction and was just kind of like, this is, and even as you said, we ju- we're just entering the reverse, the inverted world and like starting to build out like the, why are they putting these masks on and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, absolutely. It was very cool. So sweet. I mean, I, I would go back, I'd pop in the disc just to like get to that point again. Cause it was so cool. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, no. And, and that's the thing. I think, uh, I think, you know, there's this movie's been out for a while. And in that sense, I'm kind of glad that we didn't just kind of go back through and recount the movie. I think it's in- more interesting to kind of have this kind of conversation to like really digest and start to, and you have, you have, as you said, multiple people at different points in time, Lance being an hour and 40 minutes out and Nick being a couple days out and me being like a few weeks out. All the plot you know. of Dunkirk right there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> absolutely right here (laughs) (laughs) it's funny nick was like nick was like are we gonna make an an inverted podcast like earlier today and we just ended up making a dunkirk podcast instead so even better the dunkirk viewing experience yeah i was trying i was legitimately thinking how could we make a podcast that is like the inverted pincer movement and we could meet in the middle somehow and i just it would only be if we could record independently and then work our way into the middle of the review and then uh, it just would be impossible but it was a fun idea to toy with for sure honestly i can't wait to watch this again like i i've been thinking about it all day and i've been like i'm i really 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 want to watch it again and i want to watch some special features because as soon as this is over i just was like how yeah how did how does it happen yeah yeah no i heard i heard one of the other things i heard from the special features that was that he worked with imax to run the film backwards in the camera for some of the stuff that he was shooting. And I can't, my mind still doesn't understand exactly what advantage that gives him other than just <laughs> something and, and playing it in reverse or whatever it is. But um, he did that in memento too. He, he, he didn't want to just reverse the film in post. He said, he said, I want to, I want to roll it back or whatever, crank it back. Yeah. Because it looks better or has, yeah. Has for the, for the, feel. when he's shaking the Polaroid at the beginning of the movie. That and yeah, and when when he shoots whoever's at the beginning of the film, I don't want to spoil. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, that that's awesome. And yeah, I. What a psycho! Come on, man. <laughs> Just play it backward. There's no difference. Let's be real. <laughs> it's amazing though that that's the touch of an artist. I suppose is just insisting on doing it the way you want to do it. I I didn't know that. That's that's pretty incredible. Yeah. 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 And, and one other thing, John David Washington having to learn that fight four times because he learned it in forward motion as forward him and then in backward motion as forward him and then in forward motion as backward him and then backward motion as backward him. So he needed to choreograph it four different ways. That is so insane. Nuts. Absolutely. Like, like you can't ask that of somebody. No. No, That's like, not right. Kenneth Branagh even speaking backwards in a Russian accent was something that yes. he had to do. Like, what in the fu- How? 
where how do you even begin i can't even but yeah just, it, it would be amazing to hear that and then like play it forwards and it's, it's just the war the russian accent's <laughs> even worse no it's somehow better <laughs> <laughs> yeah right. the i i want to read as much as read and watch as much as i can about the making of this movie which is like because it just defies all logical approaches to filmmaking like even with inception i was like at least all, all the craziness for the most part is on a story level mm-hmm. and although they do some weird shit like the hallway turning scene i was watching it and i was like cool i understand it though like they built this hallway yeah. rig and they the camera remained stationary and they twisted the hallway around it like i can wrap my head around that i can't wrap my head around a, a leading man learning a fight in four different ways and then somehow shooting it how how is it convincing that it looks like he's fighting backwards even though one dude is not like it's not there's some shots that don't look like they're reversed at all no but and they are how <laughs> yeah like the 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 moments where when it, when he's when that encounter happens the first time and he's moving forward through it for the first time and he like gets thrown by the reverse him around. I was watching it and I was like, mm-hmm. oh, this is twisting my brain into a pretzel. Yeah. And then when we got back to that scene, I was like, cool, I can't wait to see what this looks like when he's throwing this guy and he, that guy seems reversed. Mm-hmm. And it works both ways. And I was just like, what the fuck, man? I was like annoyed that it works. How does that's, it work? That's what I wrote down a few annoyed notes on that my it phone. Works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it wrote- shouldn't. And I wrote down a few notes on my phone, and one of the things that I wrote is that the reverse fighting is weirdly incomprehensible. Like, it 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 looks like a visual ballet of some sort, but, like, the fact that I'm sitting there trying to understand how these people in reverse motion are actually fighting each other, uh, it just scrambles my brain. And, and so, it's nuts. It's nuts. It's so... Yeah, it's nuts. We could just... We could just keep talking about that ad nauseum. Uh, all the little the thing is, the more I pick it, the more I pick an Inception, the more I feel it reinforces how brilliant the story is. Mm-hmm. And this movie, I feel like the more that I would pick at it, the more I would reveal that he came up with a kick-ass idea, but never bothered to flesh it out to the same extent. And that's kind of where I feel it leaves me kind of a little sad. Yeah. Yeah, but ultimately, maybe. does it matter? Does does Christopher Nolan give a shit? Nah, <laughs> don't think so. Beautiful. Well, uh, that's gonna be the end of our episode tonight. Uh, obviously, if we have more we want to talk about, we can. But uh, and, and in future episodes, there will be more. But uh, we will return for the next episode of so next year. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> nice. <laughs> Lance, thank you for joining us. It's great to hear your voice and talk movies with you again. Thank you for uh, having me. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Yeah, maybe if they make uh, another Fifty Shades of Grey in the future, we can go in the theaters and see it together. No doubt. <laughs> with Tim, and he'll order the chicken wings. And uh, All know. right. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, what a, what a visual. <laughs> it was beautiful. Um Next time we are planning to talk about the Bill and Ted. We're playing catch up on some stuff we want to talk about. So we want to talk about Bill and Ted face the music. Uh, so go ahead and give that another watch. If you, if you haven't, or if you want to rewatch it, I know I'm going to rewatch it cause it's been a little while, but uh, it should be fun to, to get into some Bill and Ted and, and kind of reflect on that strange trilogy of movies that now exists. So 
Um, yeah. Other than that, feedback at MidwestFilmNerds.com. Let us know what you think about our return to the airwaves and, uh, and our tenant discussion here and, and anything else. Please talk to us. We'd love to hear from you. And mpn.bz slash Patreon. Go there. Sign up to give us a dollar a month, and we would greatly appreciate it. Um, but that's about it. Kyle XY, go watch a movie.